Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Gym Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who have been affected by those devastating diagnoses. You can hear those stories and more, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard jones right now on your chosen podcast player the charity work all year round to help develop research and raise awareness and if you're looking to challenge yourself this new year why not sign up to the brain tumor charity's brain power challenge simply choose a challenge that will boost your brain health from meditation to 10k runs to mega sudoku and set your challenge to either silver gold or platinum difficulty level every penny you raise will be spent on the charity's medical research 250 pounds covers the cost of one day of world-class medical research into kinder and better treatments for brain tumors which really does make a difference follow the brain tumor charity on social media to learn more and to sign up boost your brain today to boost other brains tomorrow because a cure can't wait this podcast is brought to you by Rodin Cars. Based in New Zealand, but with a new HQ open in Donington Park in the UK, with the Rodin FZ, you have the keys to experience a whole new level of driving performance. A supercar like no other, giving you the chance to feel pure driving pleasure. Designed for easy maintenance, you could own the F1 lifestyle and strive for that perfect lap time with the Rodin FZ. There's plenty of purchasing options, including after-sale partnership, where your FZ is looked after on and off track by an official formula racing team storage and exclusive track access to rodin's very own circuit in new zealand with rodin and the rodin fz you don't just drive a car you experience the performance of an open wheel high performance supercar for more information on rodin and how you can get involved visit rodin-cars.com Hello, my name's Tim Sylvie, and today we're excited to have someone a bit different on the show. But first, let's come to you, Harry Benjamin, my new celebrity friend. 
You've been a busy boy. Bring us up to speed. <laughs> Tell the people your latest exciting news. Oh, oh well, thank you very much. Um, well, if, if you haven't seen, I'm, I'm very pleased to say that I'm the new commentator for Formula 3 this year. So I'm very excited to, uh, to jump on board with that after my... Uh, little outing in Austria last year and uh, for those Porsche Super Cup fans I'll be right back doing that as well don't forget the Super Cup um, so uh, yeah really excited to do that it's a bit scary it's a huge grid it's very daunting to take over from Alex Jakes who is uh, the leader in, in support categories as well um, but he just is doing far too much so he can't can't do it anymore so uh, I'm very pleased that F1 have given me the opportunity to do that so uh, yeah yes. exciting very exciting uh, I, I put on uh, I put on LinkedIn that I felt like a proud dad and, it, <laughs> and it, I, I could almost lich I could actually technically be your father in age yeah you'd, you'd, be, you'd be a young a young dad yeah but yeah. Uh, no really pleased for you I think it's a hugely exciting oh. year ahead and uh, not the last exciting news um, no no I will be doing some other championships yes can't say anything at the moment um, but, um, yeah no, exciting hush, no, NDAs hush. and all that um, but before uh, we bring in today's guest um, just an, another reminder about our Discord channel which is 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 going berserk like I, I'm still totally perplexed by Discord um, and I'm doing my best to join in Imi is holding the fort for us and, and adding loads of content on there all the time but there's loads of chat going on on there. Um, there's a lot of people there. So search for our Discord channel or find the link to it in our socials and, uh, and join in the conversation over there um, and on all our socials, of course. Right. Shall we bring in today's guest? I think so. Let's do it. So today we're joined by a man who's worked with some of the biggest names in racing. He's a French-born race engineer that made his way up from Prima, Trident, Toyota in Formula One with Jarno Trulli, Vitaly Petrov, Pastor Maldonado, Roman Grosjean, Jolien Palmer, and of course, the legendary Kimi Raikkonen, with whom he shared Kimi's last race in our beloved sport. We're here to hear about his life, opinions, aspirations, and views. Now, let me get this right. Julien Simon Cheton. Welcome to the Motormouth podcast in my best Thank French you. accent. Thanks for having me and uh, well done for your French oh, uh, accent. Very good. <laughs> Got that out of the way. You, I give you a triple A. Oh, merci uh, beaucoup. Très bien, très bien. Uh, <laughs> Julien, again, a pleasure to have you on the show. Where are you at the moment in the world? Where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm in the UK, in uh, Cotswold. Oh, oh, very nice. Lovely. Yeah, lovely part of the world. Whereabouts? Uh, near Bolton on the Water. Oh, fantastic. Love it. Yeah, very envious. Ooh. Very nice. Well, well uh, yeah. and it's it's half decent weather today, I suppose. But um, well, that's the Cotswolds, not quite France this time. But take us back to uh, this is how we start all of our shows. We go right back to the start and how it all began for you, Julian, to, to your early life and, and childhood and and where you grew up and and what you know your childhood was like. Was there racing around you in the family in the blood? What led you to becoming involved in motorsport? Uh, well, so I was not part of a racing uh, family, uh, let's say. Uh, I grew up in the south of France, uh, near near the sea, so I had a pretty normal uh, childhood uh, uh, on this aspect. Um, but what changed for me is that my dad brought me to Monaco Grand Prix uh, in the late 80s, and that kind of... Uh, sparked a huge interest to me. And uh, straight after that, I said, uh, Dad, I want to work uh, with this very noisy car. It looks very fascinating. And uh, that's how it all started. So, and, it, and was it always going to be down a particular route? Or did you think, I want to drive those cars? 
Um, I always like to drive cars, karting, these kind of things, but very clear, very early, and I became clear that uh, I was not probably talented enough to become a driver, <laughs> and it would have been easier to become an engineer and working uh, my way through, uh, let's say, the... the to effort yeah. so that's always been the, the that's what I said I talked to a lot of young engineers who asked me a lot of questions I've done a YouTube video actually recently I don't know if you've seen it how to become a Formula 1 engineer because I'm being asked uh, all the time how how you do that and how you become because and I've tried to give them my um, my experience and uh, not saying that's the way to do it but saying that's my way yeah. uh, that's how I did it and um, yeah, it's, uh, I think as well, you've got to perhaps have a certain type of brain for it because look, we, Harry and I have started looking into this because um, we're going to be interviewing a couple of guys in a few weeks time um, who have studied the science of a racing driver's brain. And I think perhaps some people are not just, uh, they're not programmed in the right way to be a racing driver. This book's actually called The Science of the Racist Brains by Alan Dove and a guy called Dr. Otto uh, Lappy, and it's quite an interesting study into the way a brain works and what it takes to be a racing driver, or perhaps even what it takes to be a race engineer. It's not for everybody. I mean, I I know I couldn't do it because I don't have a logical um, bone in my body. Presumably, there are certain attributes that you have that help you get ahead in that kind of field. Yeah, I think so. Well, basically, what you need to become a race engineer, you need a let's say a mechanical engineering degree that gives you the basis to to of the job of the engineering principle let's say um but then that's not it i don't think there is many school i think there is crown field in uk that are really specialized in uh, in motorsport but there is not many university or school that will prepare you for this job and it's all about uh, the network the experience you will make with uh, the people and um, and going into the your career path starting in go-kart in formula three then meeting people and then you you know your network of people increase and then you you climb up to f2 and then finally f1 so but it's not especially on my job is there is a huge part of engineering of scientific uh, let's say your contents but there is also a huge part of uh, communication and uh, understanding the people and uh, being good at communicating uh, for example, you're not going to work with Kimi the same way than uh, with Julian or Roma. You know, they're all different. You're interacting with a driver manager, with team principal. So it's very, you know, there is a lot of interaction like this that is very interesting. So yes, it's a technical job, but there is also a big part of um, uh, understanding human feeling and communication, which always interests me. So it's fascinating. So you talk about you know making your way up through the ranks there. What was your first sort of hands-on experience in a race team? How did that first opportunity come about for you? Well, on the race team, if I remember, it was a very very small team in um, in the southwest of France near Bordeaux, and um, I called the guy like thousand times to to get an internship, <laughs> let's say, and the guy said, okay, but I can't pay you anything, so because I have no money, but uh, yeah, you can come over and. Uh, and see what happened. So I drove with my little car up to there, I remember. And uh, it was amazing experience. But we were, as I said also to these people who, who asked me, I literally started at the bottom of the ladder, literally sleeping on the track, uh, cleaning the wheel of the of the track and these kind of things. And uh, that's how I started. So really from, uh, from the bottom, let's say. 
Well, that's that's the way to do it, isn't it? And then I suppose, was it always Formula One, the goal right from there? Were you, did you have your mindset of, right, I'm going to work my way up to Formula One? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's funny how people yeah. have that sort of single-minded approach. Mm. And and uh, you did. You got to, well, you went, first of all, um, jumping forward a little bit, 2007, Toyota Motorsport, um, working with Jarno Trulli, who, who actually I worked with back in the day. Because my first ever role in Formula One was working with Panasonic, who were the um, title partner of the Toyota F1 team way back when. Um, and so I had a bit of exposure to Yano Trulli, who, who I think actually, he created a wine at some point. He had, yeah. his, he had his own wine. He, he, he already had a vineyard at the time, yeah? Yeah. yeah with um, his manager, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, I yeah. think I, I've consumed a few bottles of that um, probably <laughs> far too quickly. But it, what was that experience like? How did that opportunity with Toyota come about? And what was it like working with someone like Yano? Well, rolling back a bit for you to understand. So I did my last year uh, university, let's say, in, uh, in the States, in Denver. And uh, that was a very, very profitable time. I worked with many series and uh, many categories, Australian V8. I work, uh, and then I work on a seminar on creating um, on vehicle dynamic, all this kind of thing. So that was very interesting. But at the end of this time, I wanted to go back to Europe, so I contacted the Prema, which is a very famous uh, team, and it was very fam- they were very famous already at the time. And they say yes, so that was effectively my first proper job in Italy. And at the time, uh, we were the Toyota uh, junior team, so hence the link with uh, Toyota, basically. So we, are, we were having all the, the, the Toyota young drivers. They were one of the first teams to create this kind of uh, driver academy, which you see now plenty with Red Bull, Mercedes, these kind of things. And I spent uh, four years there. Um, already have good connection with Toyota, meeting people through my um, my work with, uh, with Prema, let's say. Then I moved one year in GP2 to Trident. And then I got an opportunity in Toyota to, to go there. And uh, I went there. I did a good interview with a PowerPoint presentation at the time and things like this. And I think they were quite... Uh, impressed with that and pleased and, uh, and then I got a job so, so I started in a test team at the time uh, F1 team still had a test team but only for a couple of months if I remember and then I think the season after already I was in a race team so and then that's it. it all started like this and, and this is in Cologne right? That was in Cologne yeah uh, so j- for those that don't know um, just explain the setup in Cologne because they, they've got a very impressive facility there right? Huge yeah two wind tunnel um Huge facilities and uh, have some good story actually. On the winter, the first time they uh, they created, it's quite a simple building. You know, the Japanese they don't like a flashy things, so it's quite yeah. cubical or it's not very pretty, but it's very functional. <laughs> but the story was like um, they 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 had these two full scale wind tunnels, which you can imagine consume a lot of uh, electricity. And apparently, I wasn't there, but uh, the first time they put both wind tunnels on. Um, the nuclear power plant or Cologne or something they call and say, what the hell are you doing? Because they saw their energy consumption going down like this. So uh, after that, they had to shift basically the, they, they could not put together both of them at the same time. So there was a kind of story like this. Quite interesting. It's God, insane. sending uh, heart palpitations through the uh, the Japanese government, I'm sure, <laughs> and the French government too. Um, well, let's move across to uh, Caterham next, because that was where you got another role in, in 2010. Well, yeah, exactly. So basically the story is that end of uh, 2009, Toyota decided to close the, the F1 uh, 
the F1 uh, program following, it was not really a problem of money because Toyota, it was more a political um, uh, push, let's say. Uh, after the, the crisis in 2008, all the manufacturers like Mitsubishi, Honda in Japan, they were all sitting, uh, bringing down all their uh, Subaru stopped their involvement in rally. So it was more political uh, things to, to close it down. So they kept a very, very small core of people there, but all the others were made redundant, let's say. And basically, the whole race team, including um, the chief engineer, the race engineer, the performance engineer, and Yarno uh, moved to this team that uh, Mike Gascoigne was creating in, uh, in England. That was called uh, Lotus Racing with uh, Tony Fernandez. And we literally started from uh, zero. I remember my first day there, I arrived in January. It was in, um, um, what was the name? I can't remember the name. Next to Norwich, uh, oh, where they were based. Yeah. It's not... It's not um, a little, oh, it, Ingham. Ingham. Ah, yes. yes. And I arrived at my desk, and still, literally, we had like um, cable still uh, hanging around, not finished. I had a laptop, and that's it. In the laptop, oh I had God. Word, Excel. Good luck in two uh, months of going missing. And then co- coming from Toyota, where you've got everything, all the resources in the world, and then bang, welcome. It must that have been a bit a, of a shock. That was a shock to the system, but we, we made it, and we. We, we did uh, go to our first race. We did finish the first race in Bahrain, I remember, with Yarno. And uh, yeah, it was an incredible achievement. So, What was it like, though? You know, obviously, it must have been a fairly tough time going forward, you know, a team that was at the back of the grid and, and it was such promise as well going through that. How do you deal with the change of going from fairly competitive Toyota to, to then, you know, obviously not being as competitive. Is that quite challenging for you? Yeah, it was huge because Toyota, we had everything. We had like, um, they were treating the people quite well, actually. So, you know, they had a lot of money, but they were also given uh, giving a lot uh, and ultimately didn't work out for a million of reasons. But then going to Lotus, a much smaller team fighting at the back, it was a very, very challenging. So you need to adapt to... If you used to 100, you need to do with one. You know what I mean? He, he, he was all a complete different set of um, of um, the way you work, basically. And, and in 2015, you're working with the with Roman Grosjean. He, he's he's had um, a really interesting career um, for a number of reasons. Um, very talented driver. Had his issues when he came into Formula One. What what was it like working with him? And and how do you rate him as a driver? I always actually I was talking to him um, two days ago, so uh, we we still in very good uh, contact with Roman. He was a he was a very very good exceptional driver. Bear in mind that before arriving in F one, he won everything, all the championship, you know, Formula Renault, Formula Three, GP two, and uh, exceptionally talented. Unfortunately, he arrived in F one at the time with uh, with Fernando. I think he was two thousand nine. Mm. And that was maybe a little bit early and he got a bit, uh, the car wasn't that good and um, he got really difficult time. And then um, with the Lotus days, we had um, also the problem with the finance. If you remember, I remember doing actually his last podium and my last podium in F1, that was Spa 2015. And we we did finish third. And uh, Didn't, you have, didn't he, you have the bailiffs? <laughs> at the end of the race, we had the bailiff putting a seal on the track oh, because oh the team God. hadn't paid. Imagine a bit. So you arrive with, a, I had a bottle of champagne and you see all the bailey uh, <sighs> locking up all the the track. That was incredible. But to come back to your question, yeah, he's very, very talented uh, driver. He had a big moment, I think, when he had his crash in Spa 
Um, if you remember when he flew over Alonso and Hamilton and he got banned for the run race. Yeah. And I think that was a big, big moment on his career. He did a lot of work with a um, psychologist to understand what was the issue. And they found out actually that he had something to do with this peripher peripheral vision. Let's say that was a bit too much uh, like this when he had to be. Yeah. And that's fascinating. It's fascinating because when you see also in a simulator, when driver, you see what driver are looking when they are driving is incredible. They are, you see their eyes, and we did a lot of study like this. They're not looking at the corner. They're looking at the next two corners yeah. when they arrive in one corner because they are going so quick that Amazing. when they arrive in the corner, their focus is already two corners after. Yeah. You know what I mean? This, that's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. And that's that's all part of this whole brain makeup of racing drivers and you know it's i think one of the things that, that i've already learned reading this book it sounds like i'm plugging this book i'm not but it's just quite interesting and <laughs> I've, i'm only a couple of chapters into it but um it's it's really interesting because people think they can be a racing driver everyone thinks they can race cars because it's relatable you know i drive a road car therefore i can drive a race car it's just a bit faster and a bit more dangerous that's what my brain's thinking whereas when you watch a cliff diver or some or someone doing some other extreme sport that's unrelatable. So your brain goes, no, I can't do that, but I can drive a car. But people can't do it. It's it's such a talent, isn't it? I mean, people like it Roman is. have an incredible talent for driving very, very fast. And just because I drive a road car doesn't mean it's going to translate into mm. being a racing exactly. car. Yeah. No, no, it's, uh, it's very demanding and very, very hard job. So... A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, Rodin Cars. Rodin are a bespoke formula-style supercar manufacturer based in New Zealand. With their vehicle offering, this is the only place where you can truly live the F1 lifestyle. With the easy-to-run, easy-to-maintain and even easier-to-drive Rodin FZ, you can live the dream of hunting down those final tenths of lap time whilst being fully supported by the team at Rodin who will provide you with after-sale care, storage options, exclusive use of their incredible track in New Zealand and, courtesy of Formula Racing Team High Tech Grand Prix, will run, set up and maintain your vehicle on and off the track. The Rodin FZ is a vehicle like no other, perfect for any true car aficionado in search for that elite performance to find out more head to rodin-cars.com i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Fascinating, actually, as well, with, with Roman, how he got 
you know, his second and third chances. Not many drivers get that. You know, after 2009, he actually managed to come back from from that. And then again, obviously, after the race ban. So to have that sort of mental capacity and, and drive yeah. as well is very impressive. Uh, the list of names goes on. We can't touch on every single driver you work with, but someone we did want to touch on was Jolien Palmer. Um, he had his challenges, obviously, flying the flag for, for the United Kingdom um, in, in, in Formula One. Uh, perhaps, you know, under the scrutiny of the media quite a bit. How was your relationship with him? How did he deal with the pressures that came his way? He had some formidable teammates as well in Hulkenberg and Magnussen. Um, but he's he's had a great lease, second lease of life, I think, as a, as a pundit on Five Life. But what was your uh, time working with Jolien like? Fantastic. Again, uh, I had a very good relationship with all the driver I work with, including uh, Jolien. And uh, we were texting again <laughs> uh, last week. And uh, had a really good time. He was a hard worker, and uh, as you said, he had a lot of pressure from uh, from the media, being um, a breed driver, and uh, with Hamilton next, the car was not really competitive, so it's difficult to to show what you can do. But a really good time and a really good memories, and we did some good points with him at the time. And um, uh, I think he deserved uh, he deserved more, but unfortunately, that's the car we had at uh, uh, sixteen. So. Yeah, that was a big issue. He, I felt sorry for him. There was there were a couple of interviews where I just thought, just give the guy a break. Like he's not he's not killed anyone. He's just driving driving a race car. Just leave him alone. Like he got really vilified. It was it was a tough time. Um, it was a tough time, but he was a hard worker, and he, I'm sure he still is. And uh, we had a really really good time together. So. He's he's certainly doing his thing on the, behind the microphone now. He's he's a fantastic um, pundit and commentator. Um, now let's let's move ahead to probably the uh, I think it's fair to say the most high profile driver that you've raced with in the form of Kimi Raikkonen. And and we obviously see Kimi from a fan's perspective and love him for his his character and the way he acts with the media and you know doesn't hold back. What what was it like working with him from the inner sanctum? being there with him. Is is he like that? How we see him on TV? Is that how Kimi is? Mm, no. So just to hold back a little bit, I've, knew, I've known Kimi since the Lotus Day. At the time I was working with him since uh, when he came back in 12 and 13. So I was his performance engineer at the time and I was there when he won the the race in Abu Dhabi with the famous uh, leave me alone and know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I was... I was not the main uh, the main engineer at the time, but uh, I was uh, I was in the back and working with him closely. So uh, then he went to Ferrari, and when he decided to go to Alpha, uh, we worked together. But we already knew each other since long time, and that's very important because he's not someone um, give his trust very easily. You know what I mean? But no, he's very different. He he never liked what he likes. Kim is very simple. He likes driving the car. He likes to talk to his engineers, improving the car, and uh, everything else is uh, annoyance and disturbance for him. And he's not interested um, at all. So, so to answer your question, I would say no. He's not. He's different. Uh, the image that he shows, which is also a big part of his brand, you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think that's important. That um, that's a bit like. Michael Schumacher the, in the past, you know what I mean? They were showing a bit this suspect, a bit cold, a bit. Uh, and Kimi also is uh, he's part of his brand, I would say. But yeah, he's very different. Yeah. What What are some of the, the main kind of memories you, you leave uh, working with Kimi with? What stands out the most? 
him shouting at me a lot on the radio. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Sort this but, fucking car out, for God's uh, sake. How is fucking... You tell me, we have so many YouTubers. <laughs> so many, out. so many. Oh, my God. <laughs> they, they even made a cartoon on that I had to show to my... Uh, to my um to my son it was quite funny huh? but uh, no but i have a lot of great memory the the win in abu dhabi was amazing then the win in melbourne uh, 2013 as well and um and with him in alpha in particular we had a we had a really good time together so we did some really good race and uh, it was fantastic working with him so um, i learned i learned a lot as well uh, on my side how to to be a better uh, race engineer just working with him so and any emotions on that in that last race uh, at the end of Abu Dhabi? Didn't end in quite the fairy tale manner, but any emotions from either yeah. side? It was quite unfortunate. Uh, I remember I had prepared my little speech for her because I knew we would have made a driver of the day. So yeah, I yeah. had made a little uh, speech, and unfortunately, I could not say. But yeah, 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 it was very emotional. Obviously, there was his wife, their kids. They came on the grid, and. Uh, and uh, all the people, the journalists, the attention, it was very emotional. So it's just a shame he finished the way it is, but that's racing, unfortunately. Now, bring it back to basics for us in terms of your function over a race weekend. When when the race is on, what is your role? How would you describe what you do to someone who had no idea? Well, very simply, I'm in charge for the, the performance of the car, basically. So I'm the only one allowed who talk to the driver and I have uh, working with me uh, and that's very important for the people to, to understand you to do this job you don't need to be ultra specialized in one area because there are so many specialized so uh, you're working with a performance engineer that will work on the setup a tire engineer an aero engineer an engine engineer uh, reliability so there is all these people who are specialized in their area and my objective my role is to filter all this information so let's say you receive 20 information and you say, okay, I collect them and I put them together and I give that to Kimi to, to make the car faster, basically. Plus dealing with the mechanics, the job list, so organizing the, the role of the what the, the mechanics have to do. And uh, obviously changing the setup of the car to, to make the driver faster. So very simply said, that's, uh, that's my, uh, my role, let's say. You, you make that sound incredibly straightforward, and it's clearly not. I mean, it's, it's, you can't be a hot-headed character, I'd imagine, to do this job. I mean, with all that information flying in at you whilst trying to talk to racing drivers who have their hands full, it, how do you keep calm? Is, it just, is that just in you, do you think, or have you had to teach yourself? I think so. Well, obviously, driver like Jolion or Roman could, could have been a bit... Um, punchy at the time but Jolion was very calm Marcus exceptional so it was really easy the problem when you have a driver like Kimi who started was so emotional when, when he replied to you on the radio and uh, when he starts he sounds like he's shouting but he's not person it's not like he's shouting at me he might shout at the situation the drink system business is a good example he say he can't understand why this drink system could not work and you have sure even when he was in Ferrari I'm sure there was plenty of story like this but so when he, he screaming on the radio, he's not specifically screaming at me. Yeah. It's it's such his way to react to things. But yeah, you have to you have to do your job and you have to stay calm. And many times I had people come in submission. How do you deal uh, with that? Because they're all like shaking and almost paralyzed. They could not speak. You know what I mean? 
but yeah, well, you have to deal with it. It's part of the job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. incredible. I I think I I would just turn into a puddle. I I <laughs> if Kimmy started shouting at me on radio, I, I would just dissolve. I just couldn't cope with it. I think it's amazing that you keep so calm. It, it does sound like he's being particularly mean sometimes. Yeah. But then you, I suppose you've got to realise that he's in the heat at the moment. He's driving at two hundred miles an hour. Exactly. Uh, you can't you can't take it too personally, can you? No, no, no. no absolutely. <laughs> and he's never and never took it personally. So. Yeah, it's it's yeah. the only way. Can can you looking back over your career? Can you pinpoint your very best or proudest moments out of all the teams drivers that you've worked with? Is there one moment that really stands out? The win in Abu Dhabi because that was my first win with Kimi, and that was absolutely exceptional. So if there is one point that stands out, is that uh, and yeah, and probably also the podium with Romain in Spa, that was very emotional because we were having a lot of financial trouble uh, in the team and to be able to compete with Mercedes and um, Red Bull and uh, Ferrari at the time, it was uh, absolutely exceptional. So I would say that's the two proudest uh, moments probably. If, if if I be the bad guy and then flip that on its head, <laughs> what's the worst moments? Well, I had many... Probably Mugello two years ago when they starting to introduce this red flag um, every five seconds. Oh, <laughs> God, yeah. And because you have to understand that the red flag is a rule that always existed in F1, but under Charlie Whiting, it was very rarely used. When, when Michael uh, came in, he used this rule much more often. As soon as there was a crash, red flag. And you have to understand that we were prepared, but probably not as well as we would have been after. So it was all a bit chaotic. You could see all the people running in the pit lane. And I still remember I had a flight to take in the evening. And I said, at some point, I said, oh, bloody, I'm going to miss my bloody flight. <laughs> then I had Kimi shouting on the, because we got a penalty, a five-second penalty because he crossed the pit entry. Uh, then we had another red flag. That was probably one of my worst race experience ever. So we did manage to score at the end. But uh, not very pleasant. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like much fun at all. And, and <laughs> no. what I'm curious to get from you as well, from a uh, you know a race engineer's perspective, we've obviously got a very new looking Formula One this year. We've got extremely radically different cars. What what impact um, do you think these new regulations will have on the sports from from a, a technical perspective? Well, simply speaking, these rules were made to improve the show and help uh, the overtaking. So if you look, especially the shape of the rear wing, the, the diffuser shape, all that has been made to, to make the dirty air flow behind the car going either on the side, up, but not straight at the following car, to help two cars following better and overtaking. Because what you have to realize with the, the current cars we had last year, as soon as you are getting within half a second of a car, you start to lose the front. So basically, you start to understeer and you can't attack more because if you attack more, you will start to overheat the front tires and you will kill your front tires. So what everything they try to do is to manage this dirty flow that the car is generating to allow car to follow. As simple as that. Will it work? We'll see race one. I don't know. Yeah. 
well, we've already seen some really dramatically different approaches to, to the cars just from the first pitches that have come out from pre-season testing. So that's the great thing, I suppose. We're going to get lots of different developments and then, then I suppose until they find the right one, then we'll suddenly Huge. start seeing them all going towards that that design. Um, but it's fascinating. It looks like it is a proper reset just in terms yeah. of the look of the cars as well. I think they look great. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do look very better than expected or almost from space home. Give me 2008 vibes, really. Yeah. Do, <laughs> exactly. Do, do, you, do you think, though, that... Because there's a lot of talk about improving the show, you know, helping with overtaking. It, does the show need improving? I mean, it feels like F1 right now is really buoyant, not just in terms of the racing, but in terms of the sponsors coming into the sport. It feels like it's in a really good place. Do we need this? My personal feeling is that F1 never been an overtaking show. You know what I mean? You've always been a technological show where the manufacturer compete against each other to have the best uh, solution. And look at the Ferrari days in the 2000, you know, when Ferrari was winning everything, then you had the Red Bull period with Vettel, then you had Mercedes. I mean, if they can make the car easier to overtake, why not? But for me, it's never been... um, that important to be honest with you so. yeah yeah i agree it's it's a technical it's a, it's a technical thing i guess i guess it's it's to, it's a difficult one because you've got the the new generation of formula 1 fans the netflix generation drive to survive and perhaps you know that for them they need to see that overtaking i don't know Absolutely. yeah it's it's a difficult one to know okay mm-hmm. let's put you on the spot what makes the perfect race car driver what ingredients make up a great racer uh, feedback. He need what I say always is what makes Kimi so great is that obviously he has a lot of experience, but he knows exactly what the car is doing. He can give you a feeling, an incredible feeling of what the car is doing, and he can pinpoint you to the area where to improve it. And that's not something you see very often. You know what I mean? That's ability to feel via the steering wheel what the car, the feedback is giving him and what he needs to improve. That's. Uh, I think that's fundamental. And um, if you would have seen um, the feedback from Kimi, especially is, uh, what he feel through the steering wheel is um, um, absolutely incredible. So, And that I've never seen or very little in all those drivers. So. Wow. And then I, I imagine, I will ask you what makes up the perfect race car, but I imagine it's one that goes out and puts it on pole and then wins. <laughs> yeah. And draw, yeah. Exactly. Or um, <laughs> you need to finish uh, first, but first you need to finish. So. Yes, very true. In, in looking back at your career, and we'll, we'll come on into a minute about what you're uh, looking and, and doing for, for this year as well. But is there anything you would have done differently over your career so far? I don't think so. I always try to steer my career a bit like uh, same as a driver, you know, starting from uh, from the bottom. And um, I'm quite happy what I've achieved and um, so far. And um, no, I don't have any regrets if that's your question. Yeah, well, excellent. That's, that's a way to live by, really. And then we, you said mentioned earlier you've got a YouTube channel as well where you've put um, some advice up there. Is that is that your name? How can people find that? Um, yeah, via my name, uh, it's a YouTube channel, uh, or my company, JSC7 Engineering. Uh, so I'm very new on that, so I'm nowhere near as good as you guys in uh, well. YouTube. <laughs> I had to find a, a software um, uh, to edit the video, to put pictures yeah. and things like this, but well, it's quite a material, but I did my best with, uh, with the time I had. And, uh, and yes, yeah, so they can find it either via my um, website, 
jc7engineering.com uh, or uh, searching my name, uh, Julien Simon Chantal on YouTube. So. And, you, and you do a great video about giving advice to, to young uh, boys and girls who want to, to make their way up through through this uh, sport as well. And, and you've touched on some great things too. And is, is this all part of then your, your new venture that you're launching? Talk us about that. Talk to us about yeah, that. So Ablanche, JSC7 Engineering, um, last uh, few weeks, and is basically a consulting service um, company offering um, motorsport and automotive structure, uh, all the know-how and experience I have from a, from a motorsport. I have over 20 years experience in motorsport, 14 years in F1, so I have a lot to, to offer, I, I feel. And um, I got the first contract with uh, Canal Plus, which is very interesting for me, so I will be uh, on there giving technical advice, um, both from their HQ in Paris or on site, few selected events at the moment. So that's a new experience for me and a very, very, very interesting. And um, let's see how it goes. And then for the future, I hope to, to, to be able to contact more customers and more clients and uh, people will be happy to share my uh, my passion and uh, and knowledge of F1. It's fantastic. Well, best of luck with all of that. Now, we, we have a final three questions, which uh, we ask sure. all of our uh, guests and we'll, we'll fire the, the same ones at you. And these final three are brought to us by our friends at F1 Experiences. And the final three questions are brought to us by our friends at Rodin Cars. Harry, do you want to kick off with number one? Absolutely. Julian, what's got you excited at the moment? Building up this new venture is completely new. And uh, I mean, when you have been working so long time, fully employed, you know, and then suddenly curtain and you say, no, I want to be my own boss, my new venture. And that's extremely it's challenging but he's extremely good and uh and I'm, I'm very excited about that yeah it's it's a it's a big moment challenging terrifying um but fun all at the same time <laughs> all together yeah yeah i can all together. I think Harry... terrifying challenging exciting i have all the emotion uh, yeah. all together yeah and, and then and then uh the wallet starts getting twitchy you're like oh i need to start making some decent money here but yeah i think, I think <laughs> harry and i can certainly um sharing your your fear of um, going it alone for sure um, second question for you what's your favorite racing destination for whatever reason uh probably there's many there's many lovely places but i always love singapore yep. because it's the first night race uh, ever the place is fantastic um the hotel the lights um, it's clean it's safe it's, um, i love the place basically yeah it's a good one i can i can go along with that mm. My brother went there a few years ago and said it was amazing and watched the race. It's yeah. just oh, jab, so jealous. Oh, what am I on the bucket list? Um, final one for you, Julian. What are you scared of? What I'm scared of? Uh, not being able to provide a good life to my family. Oh, oh. 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 makes me feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I love that. That's a good one. Well, listen absolutely fascinating to talk to you it's really great to hear um, a different perspective we've had a, a number of racing drivers on the show um, over the course of the last 18 months or so and uh, it's really interesting to hear from a, a race engineer's side what it's like to be in the inner workings of the sport so thank you so much for joining us and hopefully we'll see you in a paddock soon 
Uh, I'm sure you will. Before you go, one final reminder to check out Rodin Cars. Forget a one-off experience. With Rodin and the Rodin FZ, you can become and live the life of an elite performance driver. With your very own Rodin FZ, you'll be able to drive a truly remarkable supercar. Hunt down lap time and search for ultimate performance. A solo cockpit, but never alone. With Rodin's incredible after-sale partnership, you'll be looked after on and off track with an official Formula Racing team running and maintaining your vehicle. And as an exclusive owner of a Rodin car, you'll get exclusive access to their circuit in New Zealand. So what are you waiting for? To find out how you can own the F1 lifestyle, find the perfect racing line, enjoy the thrill of a roaring engine and experience the purity of driving, visit rodin-cars.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 